Hello and welcome to another episode of Unstuff America. I am super excited about our guests today, Richard Lang and Judith Selby Lang. Richard Lang and Judith Selby Lang are artists, and since 1999, they have been curating a thousand meters of Kehoe Beach in Point Reyes National Seashore in Northern California. I met uh, the, the Langs, the Selby Langs. <laughs> several years ago, and we became great friends. I'm so happy to share them with the listening audience. They are individually remarkable, and as a team, they are a tremendous powerhouse. So, Richard and Judith, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So, tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words, you know, what you do for work, what what home life is like, um, uh, parents alive or dead, stuff, I mean, we can see some stuff behind you, Richard, and some stuff behind you, Judith. But fill us in. Fill us in on what a day in the life at home is like for the, the Selby Langs. You go, Judith. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to report that we're actually retired from our life in San Francisco. So we're no longer on the road commuting, nor are we working. We like to say we're now working from home, which nice. means it, we're not working any less hard. We're just shifted our focus from, you might say, the external art world that we were so involved in. And Richard's 20-year business of electric works and now we have more time to devote to our garden to our beach plastic project and to our individual art practices and we can talk about that more but working from home is the theme yeah excellent working from home Richard you want to add anything to that yeah my day is like um, my day starts at three in the morning and um, I used to struggle with sleep problems and I gave in. So I wake up at three in the morning and I study and write for a couple of hours and then I go back to bed for a couple hours. And then I get up and I'm at my desk uh, writing and that usually goes for three hours or so. And we have lunch together. Judith is the lunch preparer. And um, uh, today it's uh, fresh tomato soup from our garden. Nice. Which is going to be scrum delioso. And, um, uh, and then uh, the afternoon I spend in the studio doing my visual art. Excellent. Excellent. And the evening, we seem to like TV lately. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're so American. I know. He's gotten so good. <laughs> so many great things to watch. And uh, I, am, I, I am in a 12-step program to stop watching anything about Donald Trump, however. Okay. Well, good luck with that. I'm, I'm yeah. sure that chapters are springing up all over, all over the country. <laughs> so tell me, what really inspires you? What are you passionate about, each of you individually and then as a, as a, as a team? Well, I feel particularly blessed to have an unending source of inspiration that just kind of bubbles up when I'm in receipt of uh, materials, either things that we have found on the beach that evoke a creative response, or more recently, I was in receipt of five large boxes of this small, the short yellow pencils that one used to have at the library. Mm -hmm. And I actually, uh, actually, the, it wasn't recently received. Ten years ago, I was given this box of pencils. And it took me 
some 10 years to realize what it was I wanted to do. And I spent the summer gluing those pencils onto branches and I've made quite a remarkable uh, installation artwork involving thousands of little yellow pencils. And I just had an exhibit of that at our local library. So it was really a case of coming full circle, of taking this, this uh, kind of throwaway pencil, since mostly people use computers now at the library. They don't mm -hmm. use the card catalog and write notes. Um, so it was being able to repurpose something that is so common and everyday and really turn it into a magnificent display. So that's, that's something that really motivates me in my own personal artwork, as well as what we do with the beach plastic, to, to take something that's basically a discard throwaway, not any, not usable anymore, and give it a new life, a new way of thinking about it. Excellent, great, Richard. Eunice, you should move your screen around a little bit, and people can see those pencils in the background. I don't know what will happen. I don't know. There you go. There you go. Those There's are the pencils. There. Those are the pencils there. Oh, see it. Go look at. Wow! Very cool. <laughs> branches and branches at the library. I had a long row of them above the computer stand and it was about a 20 foot long single branch that spanned spanned the area and it was at our local branch library yeah our local branch library and it was so fun to have people working and then have them look up and recognize in this new configuration oh my god those are those little yellow pencils how can it possibly be yeah and that uncanny uh that jarring sense of oh, I, it looks really great, I'm not sure what it is, and then on closer inspection, people go, oh my gosh, those are those yellow pencils, how can it possibly be? So to make that um, uh, kind of that thrill of discovery, of, mm -hmm. of looking at something in a new way. Excellent. Richard, how about you? What, what really inspires you? What are you passionate about? Well, <clears throat> I went to school in Washington, D.C., and in 1970, there was the very first Earth Day, Mm -hmm. and I went to the first Earth Day on the Capitol Mall and heard Gaylord Nelson and Cesar Chavez and Paul Ehrlich. And, um, and it, was, it was very inspiring about the stuff of the world. There mm -hmm. is just so much stuff. Yeah, well, I recently I interviewed Gerald Torres, who's the, new, who's the current chair of the, of the Earth Day Network. I mean, he's, on, he's a, a Cornell professor who's, um, who's also been a guest on this show. Oh, cool. I'll yeah. have to see that. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was very inspiring. And um, I ended up going to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin. And I won a contest where I was given a bunch of money to buy materials. And I bought aluminum and welded up this great thing that was on the shores of Lake Mendota. And it just hit me that why was I making all of this crap? Isn't there enough <laughs> crap in the world? I mean, it was pretty. Yeah, of course. There's enough crap in the world. So my MFA thesis was I went around to all the graduate studios and I gathered up the stuff that people weren't using. Uh huh. Now, I didn't, <clears throat> it wasn't like bricolage where I was, um, or like Joseph Cornell or something where I was making something look like something else. I just used the materials and refashioned them to make something else. And that was my MFA thesis. And I gave up doing sculpture and started doing watercolor because it was just paper and pigment. Right. And I did that for 25 years and uh, ended up teaching watercolor and um, had a wonderful time doing that. But it was, um, it was thinking about my footprint on the planet 
Mm -hmm. It's been ever a part of my life. Right. All right. Well, so then dovetailing on that, then tell us what really upsets you. What, what pisses you off? Uh, when, um, when, when someone ignores the facts, you have, you have these facts that are ample and laid out in front of you. And can you see that we're destroying thousands of species? Can you see we're filling up the planet with um, plastic? Can you can't, I mean, there's just so many facts and people are in denial. And then, and then what really pisses me off is, um, is to hear people try to defend it. Try to defend the ignorance or the, yes. the, the, the deny the facts. Yes. With alternative facts. Yeah, because the facts were there in 1970. Mm -hmm. The facts have been there since 1950. Yeah. Um, it's, it's time to wake up. And yeah, the uh, facts might have even re really been there from 1910, right? I mean, it might, have got, it might go back all the way to, to the Industrial Revolution. I mean, it, it's possible that the facts have been around for a long, long time. Yeah, and so that really pisses me off. All right, how about you, Judith? What, what gets your goat? Well, when we started on this project so many years ago, the, um, the word about what was happening in the oceans had not come in yet. Mm -hmm. The North Pacific gyre, the great garbage patch was just starting to come into the conversation. Not many people had heard about it yet. And uh, fortunately, we've sort of ridden an upwelling of information about this. But there are people that we like to call uh, gyre deniers. People say, well, if you can't see the gyre on Google Maps, maybe it doesn't exist. Wow. No, there's, but the gyre itself is even far worse than is if we could just see a floating island. Apply. People say, oh, it's like the size of Texas. It's this big accumulation. But even if we couldn't see it, it's far worse because the plastic goes all the way through the water column. It's not just something that's floating on the surface. The plastic uh, devolves into gelatinous mass of polymer chains and it goes all the way through. We know, even for people that are keen to deny it, that on certain days after a big storm, uh, when the waters and the waves had deposited huge quantities of plastic onto Kehoe Beach, our beach, we know that there's something happening out in the ocean. Maybe we can't see it as an island, but the fact is on our beach, on certain days, it is an unbelievable, heartbreaking mess. And that makes me mad. Yeah, I hear you. All right, well, um that is a sobering note, and, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. Tell us, um, on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the least organized, 10 being completely organized, where you would place yourselves on that spectrum. Give us a little perspective of your relationship with stuff and organization. Well, this reminds me of a time we were at the Global Philanthropy Forum, and we were some presenters for this conference. A very uh, formidable group of people were there, and we were invited as citizen activists to mm -hmm. tell our very personal story. Cause, so we got up on stage and we explained that we're just two people, 1,000 meters of one beach, and we want to show what, what people that devote themselves to something can uh, accomplish. And we said, Richard, would you like to say the punchline there? Yeah, we, um, 
So there, we're, we're in this conference with all these NGOs, you know, non-governmental organizations. Yes. So it's just the two of us. So we said we are the world's smallest NGO and we're not even that organized. <laughs> <laughs> so can I get a number out of you? What do you think? Like, uh, would, would, uh, where would you put yourselves on the scale? Well, I mean, in, in, <laughs> in certain regards, we're extremely organized. Um, I mean, you've been inside our barn. You know what yes. it looks like. Yeah, everything is organized by color and kind, and um, um, but the 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 part that is unorganized is the creative mind, which is the most important thing, and is the thing which will save the world. And in that disorganization, all sorts of creative thoughts can come in. Hmm. Um, I would say not necessarily disorganized. I would say maybe meandering so for example when we go to the beach we mm -hmm. don't go in a disorganized way we have a certain protocol mm -hmm. but the way that we then meander the beach and we wander kind of back and forth in the tide line or up against the cliffs and in that meander there's always the unexpected we always there's always this moment of discovery and in that moment of picking something up out of the sand not knowing even perhaps what it is uh -huh. that's the thrill and that's what keeps us going back to the beach in that in that discovery and often that that find will evoke a kind of reverie and it, that piece of plastic will get incorporated into an artwork or it will lead us on a big adventure of discovery we get home and do a google search and try to figure out what that thing once was. And mm -hmm. that's a very important part of our practice as well. And we are, thanks to Richard in particular, avid keepers of a blog, and we write about our adventures and what we find. So but, I'm gonna actually, um, can, let's, why don't we talk about it as pre-organization rather than disorganization? Because it feels like, as you pointed out, Judith, you have a methodology, you actually have a protocol for, I mean, and I've traveled to the, I went, I went beach combing with you. Uh, there's a very, down to including the, the coffee and, and, exactly. um, and baked <laughs> goods that we get before we go to the beach. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty strict protocol that you follow every time that you go. So, I, I guess where I'm, what I'm, what I'm looking for for the listeners is the administration of your lives as artists, as people. Um, it's easy to overlook the, where there are no systems or protocols for that, right? I mean, down to where does your, where does your phone go or where do your keys go when you walk in the house, and the time that it costs you trying to find those kinds of items, even if you use them every day, multiple times during the day, it's, it's that impact that I'm trying to track down for folks. So that's not, not, to, be, not to be either leading you or um, obfuscating the point. It's, I feel like from where I sit, it's that is the nickel and diming us out of a year of our life. It's the, and that's why I asked the question about where you see yourselves on that spectrum of organization is um, how much time during the day do you spend looking for things that, that 
um, in air quotes, ought to be at your fingertips or at least in their home so you could find them, that they're not slowing you down from what you want to be spending your time doing, right? That's Absolutely. I'm, I'm uh, uh, to say the word disorganized is to be pejorative, and that's not really what my intention is. Uh, right. The intention is to allow uh, the aleatoric, you know, the improvisational to come through. Yes. And that's why you want to be organized so that when it comes, you're there and ready. Yes. For example, when I was teaching, um, teaching painting, uh, what I would do is um, make a big mess on the paper as a kind of a demonstration of what watercolor could do. And then I would hold the picture up and I would say, what comes next? And I will respond to the very first voice that answers. And it was kind of a game and mm -hmm. into it. And they would try to screw me up and do outrageous things. And then they did. And I ended up with a whole series of really outrageous paintings. But it was about the first voice. Mm -hmm. To allow the first voice in and to create space to be organized so that the first voice can come in. I completely agree. I think that, that it, when I teach about organization, I often reference creative pushback of, oh, you know, I need to be free to spontaneously respond to the universe. And of course you do. And if you don't have any foundation, then you're likely to fall on your face. You're not, you're not going to be able to leap off the ground into magic air if you're not in good physical shape. So stretching the metaphor out, preparation means that you're available for anything. That's right. And if you're not prepared, then it doesn't really matter how fabulous the opportunity is, you're going to show up half cocked and not really available to prepare because part of you is hesitating because you're figuring out, well, do I have everything that I need? What, do I, what, what have I forgotten? So you're, you don't even really show up for the moment present. Yeah, it comes down to... Um, in, in teaching painting, for example, it comes down to having your tool belt filled with technique. Exactly. Yep. It's also a marvelous dance between the uh, brilliance of the idea and then having the skill and wherewithal to realize that idea. Yes. So there is this flash of inspiration, but then there's the long and arduous discipline of actually making the thing or bringing it into the world. So yes. it's, it requires both skills, the yes. wild and crazy, and then the focused attention. It's not just the wild and crazy, which we often think of when you think, oh, artists, they're just wild and crazy. But yes. no, there is really <laughs> many years of honing one's skill and learning the patience required to do it. I never thought, I never thought when I was growing up, I'd have enough patience. Oh, I just wing from this thing to that thing, this idea to that thing. Right. But it takes a long time to develop that slow and methodical process that can allow one to glue, to spend all summer gluing a th thousands of pencils onto sticks. It's, right. It yeah. has its own kind of strange, <laughs> strange this discipline. Is a, this is a wild and crazy woman. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, dovetailing on that, I'm going to add that it, while I wouldn't necessarily equate organizing and simplifying your life 
completely with an art project, although I definitely see the parallels. And in some ways, from my point of view, the act of simplifying your life is in fact curating your life. And it has a lot to do with aesthetics and those kinds of pivotal decisions. It is, it is the slow and steady where you see the results. I think people, by the time they're so frustrated with their physical environment and the amount of clutter, disorganization, random objects that surround them, that they're finally ready to move into action, they're also um, compacted and horribly frustrated that it doesn't happen faster, that they can't just, for those of us who grew up watching television in the 60s, uh, you, like Bewitched, you can't just twinkle your nose and things will magically fly around your home and cupboards will open and things will go back where they belong. That the part, and again, from my point of view, part of the pain involved, it should cost you something so that you never do this again, right? If, if the process of getting organized, of simplifying your life actually involves an investment of time and or money on your part, hopefully you are paying attention enough that you don't ever want to repeat it. Unlike making an, uh, a, a, an art project, you might continue to refine this over years. You might decide, oh, this is now leading me to that. And, and now I'm going to do this with the pencils or I'm going to do this with something with a different material, same idea, different material. Uh, I'm going to make a forest of different materials. But, and I think for those of us who are just trying to simplify their lives and get, uh, get better organized so that we can participate in the things that matter, we can sit and have a summer to glue uh, pencils on a, on a twig if that's what we want to do. How do we clear the deck so that that's available? Because oh. that, that's the challenge. True. I, um, <clears throat> a few years ago, I helped my brother move from his house. And um, he had lived in this house with his three kids. And there were boxes in the attic that were still there from three moves before. Mm. Unopened. Mm -hmm. Were they and, labeled? Uh, no. Right. Excellent. So random on top of unspecified. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I hope this, this helps your, uh, listeners. Um, what we did was we made a rule if, because people would pick things up and they would gaze longingly at them Yes. and tell the story of that thing in their own mind. Yes. And then they would put it right back where it was. Yes. So we had a rule. If you touch an object, it is magnetic. You may not put it down unless it goes to the throwaway, the, the goodwill, <laughs> or into the moving van. Right. Um, and it was, a, it was a, great, a great rule. And um, it extrapolates into my art practice and Judas' art practice also, where... Our process is kind of, uh, you would call it bricolage, which mm -hmm. is finding a new use for something else, mm -hmm. which is that beautiful gaze that when you pick up an object and look at it and start to tell the story. So what we do in our art practice is we pick up the object and then we let it tell the story. Mm -hmm. And then we consciously tell the story in our artwork. If you do it in your life, you're screwed. <laughs> the other important 
thing is that you do a little something every day. We like to say, well, you can't boil the ocean, and that's particularly apt with our beach plastic project. But if you just do a little something every day, you think, oh, it's so daunting. This, you know, my vision is so big. How am I ever going to do it? But for example, back to the pencils, I just did a few every day, but I did it every day all summer. Yep. And so at the end, I have something quite large and quite magnificent, far beyond my own conception of what it was. Yes. But it was done in incremental amounts, a little bit every day. Yeah, that's a great takeaway as well, because I, we, I was just teaching um, the other evening, and I tried to stress to the folks that were on the call with me that 15 minutes a day, every day, far greater geometric results than procrastination, 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 and one big push, and then blowing it off for another week or two. It takes so, going back to that second law of entropy, right? A body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. It takes so much energy just to gear up into actually moving into action. It's so much easier to perpetuate something once you're in motion than it is to start from scratch every day as if it's a, it's a brand new beginning of this activity. So. True that. Oh, go ahead. One of the things I tell my students is that if you set out your watercolor paint, I've also taught watercolor, you set it out uh -huh. and you leave, if you can leave a little something undone. So the next day when you go back to your work table or your space, you know exactly where to start and then complete. So that right. there's always this sense of, oh, finishing up, but then on to the next thing. I love that. I love that idea of deliberately leaving something unfinished so that you know exactly where to begin. And again, the day unfolds beyond that point in the way that it's going to unfold. But if you say, oh, I'm going to stop right here and I know tomorrow I'm going to come back and finish working on my tax papers, then we don't know where you're going to go from there. But at least you have a focus so that it, it will provide some impetus that oh, I have to go back and finish this and I know what I'm going to finish. I don't have to invent something because again, that is a stumbling block for so many people of, well, where do I begin? There's so much. What should I take on first? Well, after the first day, you're actually laying the, the groundwork for what you'll do next because you're leaving it right in plain sight for you to pick up the next day. It's awesome. Thank you. One yeah. of the great intimidators is a big blank sheet of watercolor paper that you paid $10 for, you know, and you look at that blank sheet of paper and well, how do I ever get started here? Right. Richard, were you going to throw something in there? Well, I just, um, I, I think the, the, uh, we have, we have rules here to follow. <laughs> and we in have, your home specifically or on the planet or what are you referencing there? I think there are rules for every human alive. Got but, it. But that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I do is me and for that I came. Right. Uh, but but um, it's, it's rules for doing artwork because it's really, uh, artwork is not easy if you're, if you're called to it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the first thing is to do what you love. Yes. Do the thing you really love. But um, in that whole process, um, the, the second rule is do it every day. Mm -hmm. But you only have to do five minutes. Because if you, if you tell someone, oh, they have to clean the whole house every day, that people get bored and restless and angry. Yes. 
Yeah. Well, I would never tell anybody that they have to clean their house every day. I would just tell them that they should do something to move their some th themselves forward on their path every day. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Cool. Five well, minutes is all the universe asks. Five minutes. That's it. That's an easy call to answer. So if you could change one thing about the world today, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, uh, respect for um, every living thing. Excellent. Judith? In some sense, the world is perfect right now as it is. The natural processes are going on. My little mitochondria are doing their job. The healing of uh, poke in the finger that I got, it's without me, without my intervention, it's all going on. Mm -hmm. As is the deer in the meadow. And at night, I, last night, I heard the coyotes just howling their magnificent howl. So I want to think that it is perfect already. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, tell me, when you first heard the idea of unstuffing America, what did that conjure up for you? Um, we need help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, <laughs> the image that came to mind was um, our three storage units when we had to move our business. We lost mm -hmm. our lease in San Francisco and had to move the business. And looking at those three storage units packed floor to ceiling with stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I think of. All right. Well, we've been thinking of it even more lately. We are. Uh, getting to a certain age, Richard's going to be celebrating his 70th birthday. Wow. And so <laughs> we're, we've been thinking a lot about, you know, the things that we have amassed in our life, including this barn full of, we like to call it our inventory. Mm -hmm. and Richard lovingly says to his children, these boxes of plastic debris, someday this will all be yours. Mm -hmm. But seriously, we've been thinking about how do we divest in a serious way, not only of the things that's the junk, the crap, but what do we do of the things that we value? Yes. And how do we impart to others the value that we feel towards the things that we have? Very good. Very good. Uh, so... What would you say to someone, because hopefully someone's listening today or whenever today is for them, <laughs> who feels like they're not an activist or they might be intimidated by the current political climate, uh, what would you say to them to encourage them and support them in becoming more active and helping to create change in the way that they'd like to see change manifested? Because for me, I'll preface this by saying that when I started this podcast, uh, like it was so long ago, when I started this podcast, the impetus for me was I want an engaged citizenry. Of course, I want it to be a, citizen, a citizenry that is engaged in the things that I think are important, like compassion and kindness and generosity and uh, equal access to resources and proper stewardship of the environment and things like that. It, but even more than that, I want people to be engaged and not passive and resigned and grumbling, but also not doing anything to engage in the conversation. I think passivity is a bigger threat to democracy and, and our country 
than uh, than vigorous debate is if it's actual debate and not just yelling and screaming at each other and throwing stuff at people. So that right. was that was my impetus, and uh, and I started a podcast. I'm I wasn't a podcaster. This is not anything that I did previously. But I thought I want to start getting voices out there who a are people I think other people should know about for various reasons and also to start the conversation that really I mean when we you know a year or so ago maybe longer we talked about the concept of micro philanthropy and and the idea of it five minutes a day right I mean anything can move something forward it's the action itself and how to engage people who are who are beaten down feel feel like there is no opportunity for them to participate in any meaningful way. So that, those are the people that I'm, I, I want to uh, lovingly encourage them and cajole them into action. Well, when, when we give our talks about our project, a kind of meme that we repeat over and over is, um, remember when the Iron Curtain went down? It was not B-52s, loaded with napalm that brought the iron curtain down it was blue jeans and rock and roll it was <coughs> it was joie de vivre and style mm -hmm. and bringing joie de vivre closer to yourself and bringing style closer to yourself um, makes your life more energetic mm -hmm. and you feel like doing more and so it's not about feeling bad about the world. It's about feeling good about the world. Mm -hmm. This world is, as Judah says, the world is perfect. Right. It's very easy to fall into a pit of despair. You know, when we look at the beach and we go and we think, oh, this is so horrible. What can we, just two people, it's an, the obstacle is so huge. And yet to not take that step, to not pick up that piece of plastic, to not pick up that piece of garbage that's in the gutter. Those tiniest gestures make a, accumulate and make a big impact. Mm -hmm. That to just start in the smallest way that you can think of, to not be overwhelmed with the magnitude of the problem, but just the tiniest gesture, it will gain momentum in your life. And before you know it, something magnificent will happen. So you st start really small, really small. Yeah, that is beautiful. I, it, it is true that it's easy to despair at the current state of affairs. And at the same time, there are lovely people like you two on the planet. There are many, many things to celebrate. Uh, delicious tomato soup that you grew. I, there's both on a grand, on a macro and a micro level, there, there's magnificence every day, every moment available. And yet... I think for those of us who are focused on wanting to shift things, we tend to just put our heads down. I, I'll speak for myself. I tend to just put my head down and plow ahead thinking, you know, there's not, there's not enough time to celebrate. We, there's so much work to do. We just have to keep working. And I think that it's a disservice to certainly to myself and to uh, the, the people who love me and um, are, are close to me as well as relative strangers and acquaintances that, um, there's plenty to celebrate every day instead of just being um, a, a drone trying to affect change, but miserable in the action. 
no, misery won't change anything. Yeah. Misery is not a, um, a force of nature. There you go. Um, I think of the book, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, mm -hmm. which takes place. It's a post-apocalyptic. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, there's nothing more blasted and bleak than, <coughs> than that land, landscape he describes. And yet there's this father and son. Yep. All right. Well, this seems like a perfect way to end on a note of hope and that misery is not going to, misery is not a force of nature. I think that that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Is there any last things that you'd like to share with the listening audience before we wrap up? All you need is love. Oh, oh there you go. Thank you. More love, less stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. You said oh, you're it. welcome. Where can we, where can folks find out more about you, you two? Where uh, direct us? Beachplastic.com is okay. our website. It's a great site. Lots of wonderful visuals and you will see the joy. You will see the magnificent color and the way that we arrange what we do. Yes. Yeah, and then we have a blog and we are regular bloggers on plastic forever blogspot.com are they related if i go to one will i find a link to the other or um okay. no, we're going to put up a couple other links because i keep um my, i have a writing blog and i have an art blog and those will all be linked in the next few days perfect so beachplastic.com is really the place to begin yes. and then we'll find the various blogs and other resources from there yeah That's there, correct, there yeah. are little movies on on the beach plastic thing Little movies. <laughs> Wonderful. Who doesn't love a little movie? What kind of a person? <laughs> a little movie with a cup of coffee <laughs> and a donut, or some, you know, some some baked good, a gluten-free baked good. It sounds perfect. Well, Richard, Judith, thank you so much for spending this time with uh, with me and with the listening audience. It's just it's a pleasure. I mean, you know how much I love you both, and. Um, I'm just delighted. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Go to beachplastic.com to find out more about the Langs and their magical, mysterious, beautiful work. And join us back here for another episode of Unstuff America. I look forward to seeing you all again very soon.